Hear now the word of the Lord. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, leading to righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, leading to salvation. And the scripture says, whoever believes upon him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in all riches for all who call on him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. You all may be seated. Let me start out with prayer. Father God, I come before you this morning, Lord, I, Father, you know that I, I am not able to do this. I am not worthy. I am not, probably not qualified. The only qualification I have is Christ who lives in me. Father, I, I pray this morning that you give me the words. You know that I've struggled with this. Um, I just ask, Father, that the things I say would be yours, not mine. I pray that you would bless us with an understanding of, the, of what you've put on my heart. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, before I get started, I'd like to read you all a little story and have you think about it as I go through the message this morning that God has laid on my heart. I will say up front, this message is just a little bit graphic, um, but if your kids watch TV, I promise you, it won't affect them. <laughs> that being said, I don't know how many people have TVs. We don't, but <laughs> so here goes. An experienced firefighter was recently charged with grave neglect of duty. Prosecutors maintained that he had abandoned his responsibility when he failed to release rescue equipment. This resulted in the needless and tragic death of, family, of a family of five. Eyewitnesses were sickened when they discovered that the reason that the firefighter remained locked in the emergency vehicle was simply because he was testing a new high-tech CD player, which he maintained that he had bought as a gift for the fire chief. The fire chief immediately distanced himself from the defendant and he, honorably, uh, he dishonorably discharged him from the department. In a prepared statement, the chief said, there are no words to describe such a betrayal of those he was sworn to protect. The lead prosecuting attorney argued that for more than three minutes after arriving on the scene, of the, fi on the, scene the firefighter wore earphones and listened to a CD 
My family of five was screaming to be rescued from the sixth floor of a burning building. Horrified onlookers related that as the flames licked her clothing, a mother crying in terror fell to her death while clinging to her infant in her arms. Other witnesses said that the father, that the father was clutching two terrified children as he was engulfed by the massive flames. This terrifying drama took place in full view of the firefighter as he remained seated in the vehicle listening to the CD. The, defen the defense placed or pleaded no contact, but added that the defendant went to great personal sacrifice to purchase the expensive gift for the chief and hoped that the judge would take this into, into consideration as he passed sentence. I'm sorry, it was a little graphic. But I want you guys to think about this. I want you to be the judge of this. I want you to think what is a fitting punishment for a crime like this. What, what, what should be done? Should, he, should this guy, if he, should he get two years in prison? How about 20? How about a life sentence? You know, capital punishment, death sentence? I just want you guys to take a moment and think about that. When some, God has called someone to do something and they blatantly don't do that thing. So our text this morning, it says, in the beginning of our text here, it says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, kids, I'm just warning you, old age is coming for you. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, I want to... I have been, t I was told this by more than one pastor before God saved me and before I became reformed in my theology. I was told that if I would make a public statement that in order to be saved, I had to come in front of the church and I had to make a public statement up here at this altar and then I had to pray a prayer in front of everybody and, and then I was, and then get baptized. I had to, you had to jump through these hoops, right? So I, at first I had to make a public statement. I had to come forward. I could not do it back there. I had to come up here. I had to tell the pastor that I had been saved and that, or I wanted to receive Jesus. And then he would, I would pray a prayer and he would then tell the church that I was now a Christian. That was the formula that I was taught. And, and I want to submit to you that I did that about four or five times. But I never believed God. Never. I hated God with everything inside of me. I loved my sin, and I loved saying things like, well, if God is a just God, he can't ask me to do any better than what I can do. The best I can do is all he can ask. But friends, brothers and sisters, sorry, if you are believing in that, that the best you can do will get you to heaven, it will get you one place, and that's hell. You can't get anywhere by doing the best you can do. It must be, you can only, I told a person this in my Uber car recently, that the only way that she will ever stand before a holy God in the presence of a holy God is if she is morally perfect from the moment she is born to the moment she dies 
and she, was, she threw her hands up, and she's like, then nobody's going to heaven. And that's our problem in America, friends, is that brothers and sisters, sorry, I'm used to preaching in front of murder meals. Our problem in America <laughs> is that we have made it about doing something. Pray a prayer. Say these words. Make a confession. And here it says, right, this works into their theology, that if you confess with your mouth, but they forget this little part, and I won't hit believing a lot. I've done believing, the word believing with this church before, but I will slightly touch on it. Most people in America, I am comfortable in saying that most people in America who have made a profession of faith have never believed what God has told them to believe. And it's simply because this, it is our nature to not want to trust in Christ or to not want to trust in God. We want to do it ourselves. It's me. It's all about me, myself, and I. I know the best. I know better than God. And so we, we, we don't want to believe. But he says here that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The thing is, if you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, you have to also believe that Jesus, if, he was, if he's dead and God raised him, then he had to have been alive, right? But then we have to also believe that he lived. It's kind of like, you know, when we take communion sometimes, we, we think that, we, we read that part if we take it in an unworthy manner. Brothers and sisters, none of us are worthy to take communion except through Christ. Because we believe that he lived for us, right? We believe that he died, but he also lived in our place. That God took his life and put it over on me, this piece of dirt that is wicked beyond imagination. And so we are saved. What a lot of people don't realize in, 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 sorry, in a lot of churches is that verse 10 explains verse 9. It really does. It explains verse 9. It says, with the heart a person believes. And that, that belief, if we look in Romans chapter 4, that belief, I often, I'm often floored. Think about Abraham. I just want you to, to right now take your mind back in this place. He was, a, the Bible tells us in Joshua that Abraham, his father, was a pagan worshiper. But something, there was no Bibles that we're aware of, but yet... He heard the word of God. He heard God. And he, how do we know that Abraham believed God? Because he did something. He, literally the Bible tells us, uh, we, we see in, in Genesis chapter 22. So I didn't say, I didn't write these, I, I didn't um, type them out, so I have to go to it. In Genesis chapter 22, um, verse 12, it says, then Abraham, sorry, and he said, Do not stretch out your hand against the boy and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only one, from me. What we often forget in America is that Abraham had received a gift of faith to the point that he was willing to stab and plunge a knife into his son's heart. I'm not asking anybody to do that. That's a disclaimer. Nobody's here is asked to do that. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell you to do that. And don't come and tell me that God told you to do it because I will tell you, my Bible doesn't tell you to say to do that. But 
Abraham believed. In, in Hebrews, we see also, uh, Hebrews eleven seventeen. we see it, it talks about this moment in, in the, the section about faith. And it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he, whom he, had, he who had received the promise was offering up his only son. He, didn't, he wanted an heir so bad. He wanted an heir. And God had already said, nope, Ishmael's not going to do it. That, that ain't going to work. He wanted an heir. And, he's, and it's already like, well, God, wait. I was too old when I got this one. I sure won't get another one. But Abraham believed. And that, that in just a few verses down in Romans chapter 4, it says, in verse 3, it says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And it says, in verse 9, it says, faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Chris told us this here a while back. He said, faith produces righteousness. I went for years and had so many times made so many professions of faith and said so many things and did so many things. But friends, I did not believe. It was not, I mean, my dad and mom had told me for years that Jesus died. I, I, I to some extent, believed that. But it wasn't producing righteousness in me. So, so it wasn't faith. It was maybe a, a, some type of belief, but it wasn't, and, I, and I've done this before, I, you all know my piece of paper thing. I, I mean, honest and truly, if I took a piece of paper and I asked you to eat it and told you it will cause you to live forever, you would not eat it. it it's, it's foolishness, right? It's not smart. That's kind of the way the gospel is. It's foolishness to those that are lost. You have to have a gift of faith. And I'll get to that where we, we get that gift of faith here in a little bit. He goes, so the first thing that happens is for a person with the heart, a person believes, and that leads to righteousness. At that moment when you truly believe, when you really believe it, and I don't know how to tell you, I know how to see the effects of it, but I can't tell you in the moment that you really believed. That's between you and God. You can come and tell me, and I can't say no. It takes time for that to work out. Your fruits will show. Your fruits, the things you do, the things you say, the way you act, the way you re respond to your husband, your wife, your siblings, your parents, all that will dictate, will give you a picture. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creature. We become new. The old passes away. We, it's, it's a new thing. We're, we're no longer what we were. We're literally we're new creatures. So at that moment when you believe, you are righteous before God. The Bible tells us that God doesn't hear the prayers of the unrighteous. I said that to some, an Arminian. Sorry, I, I was, said I wasn't going to say that word. I said that to somebody one time, and they were like, well, if that was true, nobody could be saved. But the Bible says that. It says it's because of our wickedness that God turns his back. He does not hear our prayers. And I want you to think about this. What were we before God saved us? We were wicked. Our hope is not in words. Our hope is in believing, and then something happens. If nothing happens, if you come to me and say, I believe God has changed me and nothing happens, there's no change. But what happens here is the heart, with the heart a person believes and it leads to righteousness. Now you're righteous before, and then the next thing that happens is with the mouth he confesses. Now I want you to recognize something. When Paul wrote this, the people who would confess Jesus as Lord, 
What were they doing? They were literally, they were saying, Caesar is not my king. And they were confessing Jesus as Lord with their head out over the chopping block. It, it, and in today's world, we make it, we're just like, oh yeah, I believe, cool. Let's go on and live like demons. Guys, that's not the way it works. There is, the reason Paul wrote this, when he wrote this, literally, there is something that happens that causes you to open your mouth and speak. You have, you were wicked, you were dead, you were worthless, you were no good, and now all of a sudden you're alive in Christ, and you want everybody else to know that. You have a longing. I, I, I will get to uh, that there is, you have to use your head on how you do it. Wendell learned that the hard way. <laughs> um, but anyway, you, you now, there is that longing for others to know. And the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Friends, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand, it is, it is about believing. So many people don't believe. They, 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 they make professions, they get baptized, they go to church, they jump through all the hoops that we make them do, but they don't believe. And the next verse he says, for there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. You see, the Jews thought that they were the only ones that would receive God's grace. They were convinced of that, that they were the only ones, they were God's only people, that there was no other. But here, he, Paul makes it plain. He said, there is no distinction. It's, it's the same. Uh, God, whoever calls on him, okay, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Once again, we can make that a works. We can make it about coming up front and doing something. If there is no change, if you don't change, just coming up and saying words doesn't do it. The next verse is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? They might mouth words, but they don't truly call on him. It, it, it just doesn't happen. Um, we have churches filled with people who are convinced they're Christians and they don't know the God of the Bible. They, they worship themselves. They, they're all for abortions. Love is love. They're, they're, they're all about lifting up the person, not lifting up Christ, not being humble. It's about Pride Day. Pride Day doesn't work with God. God resists the proud. And he says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? I believe that there are many people in America today that have heard about Jesus. They have heard about Jesus but they have heard about a false Jesus. They've heard about a Jesus that is okay with your sin. He knows you're doing the best you can. He doesn't command you. He, he, he eats and drinks with prostitutes and drunkards and drug addicts. and He doesn't command you to repent. It's a, it's a whole different Jesus. It's not that they haven't heard about Jesus. It's not the Jesus of my Bible. Because when they tell me about this Jesus, it's complete. If you were at, at, at the library the other night, I heard so many things about Jesus that were not true. Jesus just loves everybody. 
We are all God's children, but my Bible says for me to become a child of God, I had to be adopted. I wasn't a child of God. I was a child of, the, of Satan. I'm convinced that people call on Jesus all the time, but like me, for so many years, I didn't know the Jesus of the Bible. I just took the word of every, I took. I heard all kinds of stuff in the world, and guess what? My wicked heart loved it, and so I, I grabbed onto it. That was my truth. So how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in whom they have not heard? It is our jobs to tell the world about a different Jesus. And some of you did. I was going to. I, had, I, had, I came convinced they weren't going to let me speak, and, and they didn't. But I was going to refute some of the things that were said because I was like, these people are going to go home believing that to be true about Jesus. And some of them did. Some of y'all did stand up and correct some of them, and I appreciate that. I really do. But it's our job to tell the world who Jesus really is. We must be about telling the world. That's what God saved us for, for good works, to tell people who Jesus is. And he says, how will they hear without a preacher? Guys, the Bible commands us in Mark chapter 16, I think it's verse 15. The Bible commands us to, pre to preach the gospel to all creation. I, I said that one time, and right, matter of fact, just recently, I won't say the name. Uh, I, it's a, fa a family member of mine said, well, that's probably a, a, a miswording in the Bible. Because we're not supposed to, we, we wouldn't just to go out and preach to creation. We want to preach to people. We don't want to preach to squirrels and animals and, and the land. And brothers and sisters, I submit to you that you and I, any one of us can walk out into the middle of a desert, the middle of a forest, where you can't see or hear anyone else, and proclaim Christ. And the darkness is pushed back. And the kingdom is advanced. We deal not with flesh and blood. You have to understand that those people that were coming against us, it wasn't them. It was demons. Paul tells us that. He says it's not, we deal not with flesh and blood. Sometimes I think we, I know that I forget. I go out to the mill and, and, I, and I forget about it. Um, I, ha I had it wrote down, but I don't remember exactly I know it's Ephesians 6. He said, in Ephesians 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the might of his strength. Put on the full armor of God so you will, so you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world forces of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We struggle. Guys, when they come against you, you need to, don't, don't be offended. You should expect them. That is actually a grace to you. That is God's grace to you. I tell my wife all the time, when our children are wicked and they throw a fit or they lie or they steal, it's God's grace to us because it is God showing you what is in your child's heart. In the same way, when you go out and evangelize, when you go to the, to, the, to the library and people come up against you, it's God's grace 
to you to show you what you're dealing with. It is a demon, okay? Treat it that way with the Word of God. Use the Word of God. How will they hear without a preacher? We must preach knowing that God's Word will not return void. Now, before I go any further, I'm almost done with this section. Before I go any further, let me take just a moment and give a disclaimer. I went through a struggle in my life where I, I, was, I felt guilty when I didn't. If I walked into Lowe's and didn't tell everybody I saw, I felt guilty. I walked out of there, I felt guilty. I thought, like, what if that person dies? Guys, you have to use discernment when you're sharing the gospel. Not everybody, there are people out there that you don't need to share the gospel to. I know that sounds bad from, from, from somebody that's an evangelist. But there are people out there that you can't. Let's say you're, you're, you have a water leak in your house and you rush to Lowe's to get a piece to put in there and you see 50 people. Have you got time to get in a conversation with 50 people while water is spraying? No, there's times when you just can't. There's also times, maybe you have a job that you have to be discreet. You're called to provide for your family. Now, you don't need to have fear. God is sovereign, okay? But use discernment. If the Spirit says speak, speak. But wait for the Spirit. Be constantly praying for an open door. Be constantly asking God to show you. He goes on, he says, and this is one of my favorite. How will they preach unless they are sent? Guys, we are so church-minded or so building-minded in America that we've made it in America in many churches. There is one preacher that gets, he, that, that's a single pastor. That's all there is. There, there's just that one guy, and he gets, his job is to get up and preach on Sunday. Yeah, I was one of those guys once, but he gets up and preaches on Sunday, and, that, and that, that's Christianity. No, we're called to send people. We're called to send people to plant churches, to be evangelists. We're called to send people to be teachers in, and maybe in schools. Uh, we're, we're, guys, we are called to send people, not just what we do in this building. Chris said it, all of Christ for all of life. It's got to be everywhere, all at the same time. And so he goes on, he says, just that as, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. Brothers and sisters, I have, I don't know, I've preached many times on the streets. I've preached many times in the pulpit. And I, I know today that there are still people that I preach to in the pulpit that have no, that are lost as lost can be. That I preach to on the streets, there's lost. Not everybody hears it. Okay, I, I want you to know, it, it's a funny thing. They hear it, but they don't hear it. It doesn't make any sense to them. It's foolishness. It's just like, it's, they can't understand, as it says in 1 Corinthians 14, it says the natural man can't understand the things of God. They just, they just can't get it, okay? And so it says here, it says faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So how is a person saved? How is, that was actually my first point. How is a person saved? Okay, so Matthew 19. Um, in Matthew 19, Jesus, it starts with God. It starts with God through the church. Okay, so it starts with God, and it's always God through the church. If you have a rogue evangelist out there not submitting to the church, he's not biblical. Okay, it needs to be, it must be through the church. But Jesus, 
when I, I often look at how does Jesus share the gospel? How does he bring people? He always start, almost always, he started out with the law. God sends, he plants the church, he raises up the church, the church sends out a preacher, God sends a preacher to preach, and he starts out with the law. Why? Why does he start with the law? Why is that important? Guys, the Bible tells us in Romans that the law shuts our mouth. We no more can, we, we, we can't, we can't, well, well, I know better. No, the law shuts our mouth. The law shows us the holiness of God and the wickedness of us. Okay? It causes us to recognize uh, that we are unholy and God is holy. It causes us also, Paul says in Romans 7, he says, I would not have known that coveting was, was coveting if it, if it hadn't said that. It, the law gives us knowledge of what sin is. It is a tutor that it leads us to Christ. Oftentimes the, the preacher will go out and he'll start out with the law. He'll preach the law. He'll, he'll use the law to, to literally cut into their heart. And God then uses that. Later in, the, in my message, when I'm preaching on the streets, I start with the law, but I go to the gospel then. I always end with the gospel. I always have gospel there, a way to come through. But oftentimes I don't see people saved then and there. No, they, they go home and, and the Holy Spirit convicts them with that law. And, and you know what I did when I first got saved? I, the, the law did something to me. I went home and I was convinced that I could, man, I could do all those things and I was going to do all those things. But when I recognized I couldn't do all those things and I could not be in the presence of God, and then I started thinking, well, what about the sin back there? If I'm okay forward, what about back there? I, and I became, I, 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 for, for days, I went for days not sure what to do because I was like, what do I do? I, I can't possibly be righteous. I can't, I can't quit sinning. And that's what God does to that sinner. He sends the preacher. The preacher preaches a sermon, and the law starts working on him. If he is an elect, God starts working on him. Maybe he doesn't get saved then. Maybe he'll hear Jer uh, or Daniel preach, and next time he might hear Josh preach. He hears something, and God starts building on that. And then one day something happens. He realizes, I can't do it. He has nowhere to flee but Christ. Because in every message that had the law in it, it also had the gospel in it. Jesus here, he's talking to the rich young ruler, and he says, the rich young ruler comes, he says, he says, teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Um, don't we all want to live forever? I mean, even the wicked want to live forever, right? Everybody wants to live forever. And, and, and Jesus, it says down in verse 18, it says, then he said to him, or sorry, in verse 17, he said to him, Oh, he says, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. And this rich young ruler, he said to him, which ones? Jesus says, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall, have, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We've, none of us have ever done that. We, we, we've all failed seriously. Of course, this rich young ruler, he, he wanted to justify himself. But what happens is Jesus used that. And that's what we do. That's how a sinner is saved. I, I like to start the way Jesus starts. I often start out preaching the law, pointing out. And, and some people say, oh, you're being judgmental. Well, 
That's not my point. That's not my goal. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm pointing out that we all have sin. I'm including me in it. But I also give an antidote for that sin. There is a way to get around. So a person is saved. The preacher comes. He preaches a sermon. And God starts working on him. And the very last thing that I read there in that text there was faith comes by hearing. And it is through that hearing God gives them faith. And something starts growing in them. Like it did in Abraham. And if you go read uh, in Hebrews, it starts growing in them. Then I want to just look a little bit, just for a few minutes, I want us to look at who should we evangelize to. do, Do we evangelize to everybody? Who do we evangelize to first? In the story of the Good Samaritan, they wanted this guy, I'll, I'll read some of it. It says, behold, a scholar of the law stood up and was putting him to the test. I, I'm just like, well, what a foolish man. But man, then, then how, how often have I done that? Teacher, what shall I do to have eternal life? Once again, we see here this guy, he wants eternal life. We all want, Paul Washer once said, you know, they get up and they say, who wants to go to heaven? How about it? Who wants to go to heaven? Hands? Anybody? Come on. Surely. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to be in eternal punishment. Nobody wants to go to hell. We all want to go to heaven. All children want to go to heaven. And so you tell them, oh, if you do these things here, you can go to heaven. So that's, that's, that's something that we all want to know. What do I have to do to live forever, right? And so Jesus asks this important question. What is written in the law? How do you read it? He takes him back to the law. The woman at the well, he took her back to the law. He pointed out her sin. He took her, he used the law. It is the law that is our tutor to lead us to Christ. But who should we evangelize to? So he gives this story, and I won't go through this whole story. I don't know how much time I have or how long I've been going, but anyway. Sorry, I forgot to look. You're you're allowed to say how much longer I have. Wow. Wow. So this guy, he wants to justify himself. Sorry, this guy, he gives him the law. He he quotes the law to him. He knows the law. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. I, I, I was there once. I was there once, friends, brothers and sisters. I was, you know, I heard the law. I knew the law, and I decided I'm going to keep the law. I'm going to change. I'm going to make a new leap. Man, I'm, I'm going to keep the law. But you can't. As a Christian, every one of you in this room has sinned this morning. Has everything that you have done this morning, everything you thought, everything you said, and everything you've done, has it brought glory to God? If it hasn't, it's sin. God created you to glorify him. Brothers and sisters, we need Christ. And so the young man asked this very important question. This has worked on me so much over the years. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? 
You know what? When I hear that, when I hear that question pop up in my mind, I think of, sorry, ladies, I, uh, guys. I I I tell my, I told my son, one of my boys, who I don't know. Anyway, he has now long hair, and a ponytail, and it. Sorry, it angers me. And I bug him about it every now and then, and his words are, what's long? My answer to him is, did God really say? That's what he is doing here. Who is my neighbor? He knows who his neighbor is. We all know who our neighbor is. He's not talking about our next door neighbor especially. He's talking about those people that God has sovereignly brought into our path each day. And the Spirit has said to you, or somehow started a conversation between you. How often do we talk to people and we don't steer the conversation towards the gospel because we are afraid of them? Because we, we, we want them to like us, right? We don't want them to think we're terrible. We don't want them to think, well, there's one of those religious fanatics. We, who should we share the gospel with? Who should we proclaim the gospel? Jesus replied, and said to him, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away leaving him half dead. Now let me uh, take just a moment to make sure you all understand. I had a, a pastor one time read this text to me and tell me, see, lost people are not actually dead. They're like half dead. Or they're sick. This is not true. This is even a different word, Okay. The word here is, if I can say it, or something like that. And the word that Paul uses in Ephesians 2 is nekros. It's two different words, okay? Paul in Ephesians says to Christians, you were dead. And brothers and sisters, it's the same word used where it talks about Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. It's the same word. Now, we have to understand, we do have a gift from God. Dead people are dead towards God. They're still alive, but they're dead towards God. Does that make sense? We have the ability, we have the words of life to bring them alive. And Jesus commands, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And so, this guy, this Samaritan, it says... Well, first, let me get to the, it says that a priest happened to be going down the road. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side of the road. Likewise, a Levite also. Now, I will, I will tell you in Numbers 19, verses 11 and 12, it said that if you touched a dead body, you, you were unclean and the priests would then, and the Levite would not be able to do their job. But let me ask you a question. If you had to be, not touch a dead body to come to church, or Chris, how about in order to preach for a week, and you saw your brother, Josh, on the side of the road, would you have compassion and, and do something about it? Would you stop and take care of him, even though he might be dead and you might not be able to preach Sunday? I mean, the truth, what, what we have to see here is it says a Samaritan, and, and a lot of people say that this guy that fell by the side of the road was possibly a Jew. If it was a Jew, the Jews hated the Samaritans. They called them dogs. They called them half-breeds or inbreds or whatever, half-breeds. They didn't like him. But this Samaritan was on a journey. He came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. 
Do you have compassion when, you, when you're at the library and those people say the things they say? Do you feel compassion or do you feel anger? I just want to tell you up front, I struggle with feeling anger. I, I, I struggle with being angry at them. And I know I shouldn't. I don't let it out. I don't show it to them. I might get a little hyper a little bit, but I don't show it to them. I, I make sure they don't see it. But we're called to feel compassion for them, to recognize that a demon has entered into that person and has taken control of them and has led them astray to follow and worship a different God while proclaiming Christ. They felt compassion for him. So who should we start with evangelizing? I will just say this. Evangelism looks different for every person in this room. Every person. There are men here that are possibly old and retired and they could be out preaching in the streets or going door to door and evangelizing. There are mothers here who their job is to their children to evangelize their children and keep their home. There are fathers who might work 12 hours a day or 10 hours a day who are not able to be out evangelizing. But when they have time, they should try and find a little bit of time somewhere to evangelize. But more than, more than that, God has put them in their job where they're at to reach those people. And we must put down the fear. Yes, you must do it with discernment. You have to provide for your family. And I'm not saying you have to go get fired. I'm not saying that, okay? Um, I'm saying that God has put you there sovereignly and that person is lost and your life and your words should cause them to long for Christ. Okay, so evangelism looks different. If it, it's not the same for, for any person. A child might be, he might evangelize to his, his sis, brothers and younger brothers and sisters, uh, grandparents to their grandchildren. Obviously dads are obviously... Guys, every time your child sins, it is a gospel moment. It is God showing you what's in your child's heart, and it's your job to point him back to Christ. Okay? So, I just want to ask this question right quick. Why? If that's the case, if, if we're... If our children, our co-workers, the people we meet, if we're called to evangelize those people, why should we evangelize? I mean, God's sovereign, right? He, he's going to save whoever he wants to save, right? So for the, my last text this morning, let me just read this to you since this is Palm Sunday. And when they had, pre- when they had approached, so I'm going, I'm in Matthew uh, chapter 21, starting in verse 1. And when they had approached Jerusalem and came to the Bethpage and the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent out two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately, and immediately you will find a donkey there, a donkey tied there, and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says to you, if anyone says anything to you, sorry, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place in order that what was spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, 
and they're full of a pack animal. And the disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their garments on them. And he sat on the, gar and he sat on the garments. And most of the, of the crowd spread their garments on the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. And the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were crying out saying, Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna is in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So why should we, why should we preach the gospel? Why should we proclaim the gospel? Why should we go? The, the answer is really, I have a, several things that I'm going to tell you, but the, the short answer is because Jesus won. Jesus won the victory. The pre-evangelism in, in um, Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 makes it plain that he would win the victory, that he would crush the head of the serpent. Daniel 7, 14 tells us, it says, tells us that Jesus was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every tongue should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that cannot be taken away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. If you claim to be a Christian, if you take the name, I am a Christian, then you are commanded to obey him. You're saying, he is my king. He is my Lord. He is the king of all the kings of earth. He is the Lord over all lords. He is the king of Knoxville. I would constantly, and when the college students would come down by me at the murder mill, I would hand out a track and say, I have a word from the king. It often, it, not always, but sometimes it started very good conversations. In Revelations, we are told that he is the king of kings, the king of all kings, and the Lord of all lords. In Matthew, he tells us, in Matthew 28, 18, he tells us that he has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He has all authority. Secondly, we should evangelize because we have been commanded to proclaim the gospel. We've been commanded in Leviticus 19.18, we've been commanded to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. In Matthew 28.19, we have been commanded to go and make disciples. In Mark 16.15, God commands us to preach the gospel to all creation. And in Peter 3.15, we have been commanded to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts and always having an answer ready for the hope that is within us. And third, we should proclaim the gospel. Proclaiming the gospel is one of the greatest proofs of our salvation. It's not the only. It's one of the proofs of our salvation. Charles Spurgeon once says, if you have no desire to see others saved, know this, you're not saved. I think Spurgeon might be right. Here's another thing. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be my witnesses. 
Have you received that power? Is he in you? Ephesians says that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. And the Gospel of John tells us that if we love him, we will keep his commandments. And finally, when we proclaim the gospel, we preach to ourselves and we grow in Christ. And in closing, when we refuse to proclaim the gospel and do what God has called us to do, we are just like the firefighter that refused to do what God called him to do. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord. I thank you for your love and your kindness. I thank you for your mercy. Father, I pray that you grow us. I pray that you are pleased. I pray, Father, your blessing. Father, forgive us where we fail. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.